Americans, we are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of The Brando Casts. And today, we are talking to someone who is not only a writer and a showrunner, people, we are talking to someone who has a brand new podcast out in the world with her partner in crime, Busy Phillips. You follow her on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the legendary Casey St. Ange. Hey, thanks for having me. A good well, I am so honored that you have taken the time out of your busy schedule now that you have your own damn show. I know. I want to hear that just launched. I won't date the time that we're talking right now, but it basically just launched into the world. Yep. I listened I listened to your first episode with um, funny man Ike Barinholtz. Yes. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's called Busy Phillips is doing her best. And um, it just is about busy and me and our friend Shantira Jackson and just how we're trying to, you know, you know, <laughs> you know how it is. We've been trying to, we had a late night show together and that was some say prematurely canceled. We felt like it was. And, but we loved each other. So we wanted to still continue to work together. And we had been working together and then just the world fell apart like seven times. <laughs> so we figured, well, you know what? Here's what we can do. We can do this podcast and we can just talk about how everybody had plans, but everybody's plans are not happening right now uh so we're just doing our best and trying to get through it and um yeah and then interviewing our friends and celebrities and uh in my case a lot of former bosses are going to come on the show to talk about times in their lives when they had a big career or life pivot which is you know kind of inspiring and i would say that we're all having a big life pivot right now I mean, especially here. No, I won't say especially. I was just about to be a Hollywood snob, but it's <laughs> but it's it's happening in Hollywood oh, for, for sure. a lot of people. Sure. And I would say it's happening in kind of a good way because my feeling right now is like I don't need this town anymore. Like, <laughs> like fuck it. Who cares? Like it doesn't matter. Chasing the brass ring is it's just ridiculous. Like health is the most important fucking thing. It really and, is. And it now really that is. we now that we've been removed from that daily hustle and that the daily whoring and the daily dance that you have to do for people to prove that you're worthy of executing their thing or spending their money properly, like it doesn't fucking matter anymore. So yeah. I'm I'm just ready to go. Like if if someone came to me today and said, you know what, you can start as a park ranger in Yosemite tomorrow, I'd be like, Great, fantastic. <laughs> You'd be such a good park ranger. You know what, Casey? I'm very honored that you would say that because I do know that I would be a very good park ranger. And I feel like I would be the kind of park ranger who would take people to places uh, that they might not know, but that they have a damn good time at. You know yeah, what I'm saying? That's, that's what you do in everything. You're always taking people to good places. I am a social chair by nature. Okay, so let me let's bring it back to Busy Phillips and you and your friend Shantira. Now, I know between you and Busy, you know everybody. <laughs> I think so. That is a colossal Rolodex of people to comb through. So are you going to focus early on on friends and former coworkers that you love? Is that sort of where you're going to keep the focus right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
we're just reaching out to people that we love that we know have great stories and you know one of my not my first boss but um the person who first gave me a big break to be on a writing staff was rosie o'donnell and she was my boss for many many years and she's a busy lady we don't talk every day but i was like let me just shoot my shot and ask her because i know she's had a number of career pivots that we've all witnessed but also like smaller stories that i remember her sharing when i worked with her and so i just you know, sent her a little message and she was like, oh, I'd love to. So we're going to tape with her tomorrow. And um, that's exciting. So, you know, just asking whoever, whoever, you know. <laughs> now, did did Busy know Rosie O'Donnell beforehand? Because Busy knows everybody. I don't think she ever had occasion to cross paths with Rosie. So it'll be their first conversation, I think. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. I'm so excited for you guys. I mean, I will say this. The fun thing about podcasting now is that it's now possible to get people that you wouldn't usually be able to get under regular circumstances. Right. You know what I mean? Because you can just talk to anyone anywhere in the world. I, you know, regular people who listen to this podcast know that I was able to interview Frank Black from the Pixies, Black Francis from the Pixies, because all he had to do was sit in front of a computer for an hour. I didn't have to convince him to... Uh, you know, come to Los. Well, it was never going to happen. We're never going to be able to convince them to come to Los Angeles for my own dumb show. But you know, the hardest part of podcasting is scheduling. It is like the number one most frustrating, crazy thing uh, before the pandemic was scheduling. And now it's. I think it's easier to do it. It might not sound as great, and it's not as fun as sitting next to somebody, but it's possible to get people from all over. You know I think saying? it's really excellent. And I'm also really impressed with how many people I just see. <laughs> I see older celebrities and they've got their AirPods in and they've got their setups. And I'm like, that's amazing. You know, people that are people that that don't have to do this, <laughs> but they want to. And, you know, so it's just a fun way to stay connected. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that people are getting into it. It's it's nice. It's nice to be part of the podcast community. Now, you, as the showrunner of Busy's former show, will you try to bring some of the magic and some of the sort of elements of that show that you wanted to share with the world when it was on television? Yeah, that's one thing that Busy and I actually talked about on the episode that that happened today that came up do episodes happen um the episode that was posted today of our podcast we were sort of talking about how we always have a mission when we're developing something like just a core mission a mission statement of what we're trying to accomplish with that show so with busy tonight we did have a mission and it was to make people feel seen and heard and less alone because even before all this happened we know that the people that we were meeting on social media the people that were fans of what we were doing were kind of like living a more solitary existence and um sort of feeling like oh gosh you know i i work all day i go home i'm by myself and so we just wanted people to feel like you know what this is like a hang with your friends and you can have a snack and get in your jammies and watch this show and it's like a little like a slumber party or you know so we just we wanted people to feel seen because who doesn't want to feel seen you know i've i've had times in my life where i was working so hard and never saw my family and just was so isolated at work that like one time a doorman said how are you doing today miss and i burst into tears on the streets of new york city 
So, you know, because I was like, oh my God, I exist, you know? Um, so that's what we're trying to do. And it really made us feel good when people who watched the show would say back to us, this show makes me feel seen. This show makes me feel less alone because it was like they read, <clears throat> excuse me. It was like they read our pitch and that's a really great feeling. So I think the podcast, we're trying to sort of do the same thing where we're just like, okay, talk to us about this. We know it's a rough time. We want to break it down and talk about how everyone's getting through this and like we got you we're here with you it sucks for everyone but at least we can make each other laugh a little bit that is fantastic and the the only hope i have for you guys is big success and also the possibility of one day getting into a studio because when you're all together that's when it's to me it's the thing that i miss the most magic we used to to do this um this podcast in in a in a really fun studio and it was just to be able to sit with people that you love and enjoy and, and people that make you laugh. Um, it's just really fun. So I, I really hope that you guys can get into that situation soon because you're all hilarious. And I can't wait to get to know Shantira from your podcast because I, I, I enjoyed sort of the wind up to how she came into your world and started off on the show. But then you guys realize like, oh, this woman is super legit too. And, yeah, and she has her best. own unique voice. So that's just really awesome. Chicago comedy, man. You can't beat someone coming out of the Chicago comedy scene. I didn't know that. She's from Chicago? Yes. It's the best. <laughs> well, some, some, some of us are funny and some are not, like me. But what, what some of us do have is a love of music and a love of the artists that I am going to share with Casey St. Ange today. And if you follow Casey, you know that the person besides her husband, who might be the most important person in her life, is none other then the artist known as Prince. Prince Rogers Nelson was an American singer, songwriter, musician, record producer, dancer, actor, and filmmaker. A guitar virtuoso known for his genre-crossing work and flamboyant stage appearance, Prince is regarded as one of the greatest musicians of all time. His music integrated a wide variety of styles, including funk, rock, R&B, New Wave, and Pop. All right, Casey, tell me about your love of Prince Rogers Nelson. Well, it's funny that you're playing I Want to Be Your Lover because that is the song. That's the first song that I ever heard performed by Prince. Um, I grew up in a small town and I... Where? Where? Where was that small town? (laughs) Pittsburgh, Massachusetts. And I lived at home with my parents and my house was, you know, my parents were working. I was an only child. There were things going on my, in my life that were kind of rough. And so one of my favorite things to do was to spend Saturdays at my grandmother's house uh, because not the least of which was that I had teenage aunts who were like seven and eight years older than I was. And so I was seven years old. Uh, and I went to their house to watch, uh, to hang out on a Saturday and they always had good snacks and it was just really cozy. And there, we were allowed to lay on the floor and watch the big TV in the living room. And so we watched American bandstand like we did every week. And this teenager, this, <laughs> this teenager came out, he was wearing gold pants. He had beautiful hair and <laughs> he sang this song. I want to be your lover. And I just was like, lost my little mind. <laughs> um, and you know, you kind of think like, what does a seven year old know from wanting to be your lover? But the, I, I have told 
other people that just whatever was going on in my life at the time, it wasn't super, it didn't feel super hopeful to little me. And something about the way that he said, I want to be your lover and not, I'm gonna be your lover. Um, I think by that time I had sadly had, sadly had incidences where I wasn't treated very well by men. And, um, you know, and not to get too dark or too deep into that, but I was like, oh, shoot, like this guy is saying something different. This guy's asking a question. It's an invitation. And um, and even there's a line in the song that says, I don't want to pressure you, baby. And I was like, that's a whole he, he basically introduced me to the concept of sexual consent in that song. And I was like holy moly, if there are other guys like this, well, I probably thought like, I'm going to meet, the, I'm going to grow up and meet this guy and marry this guy, um, which I didn't <laughs> I just, just clarify that I did. I never did get to marry him. But, um, but also it told me like, there are people somewhere in the world that think a little differently than the people that I might know that might be in my life right now. So that like sort of gave me hope. And also, like everyone was freaky and it freaked adults out. And I was like, you know, not so much that band, that band just looked like a fun, funky band. But as, as time went on and I continued to, to follow him, you know, he always was just surrounded with a gallery of people being themselves. And I just loved that because it always spoke to a bigger, more adventurous, more creative world beyond Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Wow. What a wonderful answer. I want to stand up and give you like a standing ovation for that because I just the, love the idea of a seven-year-old Casey kind of being blown away by the little magical sex elf. Because <laughs> that's a lot. Because I remember the first time that I saw Prince, which was probably in eighth grade watching USA Network, uh, a show called Night Flight yes. way back in like 1980, 1981. Whenever controversy came out, that was the first time that I heard Prince because they played that video on USA. They wouldn't play it on MTV because when Prince opens that long trench coat and all you see is a pair of black bikini briefs, I mean, I think anybody, man or woman, is like, whoa, that guy has come to play. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that trench coat underwear look. It was so iconic. And I know back then he was also really um, – he was, he was also like kind of strict about what all the band members wore, their images, and he wanted them even in like hotel lobbies to look like rock stars. And But it's so funny because it's so kind of cobbled together from like stuff – obviously stolen from girls houses or from thrift shops or whatever, but man, they, they did look like stars. I will say this, that my dear friend, uh, Tracy McMillan, who's a writer here in Los Angeles, grew up in Minneapolis and she went to the same high school that Prince did. Oh. And she, she remembers, Central High. Central she, high. yeah, she remembers pre Prince Prince because pre Prince Prince, Prince Rogers Nelson was wearing fur coats in the summer and wearing bikini briefs in the winter and being <laughs> that guy long before, uh, you know, he got the record contract, you know, and, and, and the one thing that she said to me that was so great is that she started feeling like a weirdo when she was 11, 12, 13. And to see Prince walking around Minneapolis, you know, in a leopard skin coat in the middle of summer just felt, it just made her feel like she wasn't alone. 
Yeah. You know, that, and that's how my friend Tracy hooked into Prince. He's all, almost like he was the king of the freaks. And, yeah. and I say that in the most loving way. No, but he said that too in a number of songs. It is all about like all the freaks get out on the floor. You know, all the boys sing, all the girls sing, everybody else sing, you know, so it, it, it always was an invitation to a party. Didn't matter like what you were wearing or not wearing at that party. Uh, and what a party it was. So let's, let's hear a little bit of controversy right now. Born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Prince developed an interest in music as a young child and wrote his first song, Funk Machine, Funk Machine. At, the ripe, at the ripe old age of seven. He signed a recording contract with Warner Brothers at 17 and released his debut album For You in 1978. He followed up that record with four very strong albums in a row. Prince, Dirty Mind, and 1981's Controversy. And again, like I said, the videos for Controversy and the song Sexuality, which is on Controversy, were the things that brought Prince Rogers Nelson uh, into my life. Now, not to make this into a, a long, long discussion about uh, Prince, but I want to sort of mention one little fun thing from this exact era that on the Controversy tour, Prince opened up for the Rolling Stones. I think and on a couple on a couple dates, but here in LA, he was basically booed off the stage. Yeah, he had like bottles thrown. They had bottles thrown at them. And the way that I understand the story is that he took off back to Minneapolis. Like after they they did a short set, they performed um, a song from Controversy, "Jack You Off," which is a funny song about masturbating um it's it's funny and it's great and funky and uh and people you know were screaming slurs at them and just yeah just wild and um so uh, my understanding is he went right to the airport and went back home to minneapolis and i think mick jagger kind of called him back and was like come on you know you it'll be okay it'll go better tomorrow and so he returned and uh, i'm not sure how much better it went but my husband actually works with someone who was at the show where he was pelted with bottles oh whoa oh okay wow <laughs> yeah and it's so funny because I actually, she loves Prince. This woman loves Prince, but I, I want to find, I want to round up that entire crowd and see who's still around from that crowd and who will admit to have, uh, to, to bullying Prince. Like I want, you know what I mean? Like they didn't know what they were seeing. And I say boo Los Angeles because we're supposed to be the city that is supposed to love that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get it. Listen, you know, sometimes you go to see who you're going to see and the people that are opening, like, you know, I don't know. I went to see kiss and I don't remember <laughs> who opened for kiss, you know? So I'm sure I probably wasn't the most polite audience member, but there's, um, there's, a a far distance from just not paying attention and being kind of rude to actually assaulting small people. Um, was it David Lee Roth? Did you go to see Kiss last uh, March at the Staples Center like your friend Brendan did? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I If it was David Lee Roth, I would have remembered. Okay. Now let's bring it back to the city of Los Angeles because I do know that you and your family have essentially relocated yes, to yeah. the city of Los Angeles. I, I think you're actually only living about five minutes from me. Oh, wow. And so, and so this will be your first summer in the San Fernando Valley, is it not? That's true. Um, and now that it's 140 degrees today, how are you dealing? You know what? It's not so bad if 
if we weren't in a pandemic and I was running around to meetings or whatever, I'm sure I would be very, very cranky about it. But since I'm just in my house and I think that my house is, what would you call it when a house is like specifically built to not get too hot? What do we call that? Uh, smart, a smart home. <laughs> it's it's an older house, but um, the way that it's situated, it doesn't get that hot. So I'm just like a happy hermit inside my home. Not too hot. How about you? Uh, I'm well, I, I have a rag in my hand right now <laughs> <laughs> because wh- where I have my podcast set up is sort of away from where the, the, the best parts of the air conditioning are. So understood. Uh, I, I am completely drenched in sweat right now, you but you know, sweat. that's, that's what you got to do. Um, are you guys enjoying, even though the pandemic, I mean, the pandemic basically started right around the time that you guys moved into the house? Yes? Yeah, we were here a couple months. I'm so happy that we moved from a very small rental home to a much larger house where everyone sort of has their own space because we have my younger son here with us. Our older son is still on the East Coast. He's in college. And so 75% of us are here. And so we moved into a place where we all have our own space. My younger son, both of my sons are very big guys. They're both over six foot two. So um, so it's just just if one of them leaves their shoes out in, the, in a small house, that's it. You know, that, this is like the whole house is you have to move out. So, um, yeah, so it's nice to kind of have our own spaces and then we can commune together. We have a little bit of a yard, so it's much more, much more pleasant. We're very fortunate to not be crammed together in like a tiny apartment. Like I know some people are with no outdoor space. Yeah, understood. Now, speaking of your sons, would you mind sharing with the podcast audience uh, what one of your sons did uh, with Barack Obama? Yeah, actually, it was kind of both of my sons. They are, they're both super interested in politics. Um, and they both follow it and they follow it the way that you or I follow music or entertainment. So they, they just have really worked on a number of political campaigns, both local and national as volunteers and as organizers. And so my younger son was graduating from high school this year. And my older son was here to stay with us at the beginning of the pandemic. Once we're trying to like figure out where, you know, how everything was just going to go. And, um, so which was great because it was a scary time, I think, for both of them. And my younger son's senior year of school just got shut down and his prom got canceled. And next thing you know, graduation was canceled and like all these things that he'd been looking forward to. And, you know, the thing about my younger son is, is he, you can never tell him like that really, that really sucks. Like that must really hurt because he'll always say, yeah, but you know what? Thank God we're all still alive and no one in our family got sick and like knock on wood, it could be so much worse. And, you know, and I'm sure this is like very character building. And, you know, so every time I tried to say like, oh, this kind of sucks, man, I'm sorry that your prom got canceled. He'd be like, well, you know, at least we're all still hanging in there. And, you know, so he was always really minimizing it. But um, I noticed that he he was I think he was saddest about missing graduation just because he had wanted to stay in California to graduate with his new class Um, because, you know, there was a when busy tonight was canceled. We were like, we could go back to the East Coast. We could do whatever. And he was like, you know, I would really love to stay here if we could stay here because I already transferred schools 
and I really like my new friends and I'd love to graduate with them. So, um, yeah, so I think he was bummed about that. And I noticed, you know how sometimes when you're like the one time he said anything like, you know, like, I think I said, like, it's a bummer that everyone's graduations are being canceled. And I said it like on Facebook or something. And somebody was like, Oh, uh, Lincoln, don't worry about it. It's boring anyway. And he was like, <laughs> you know, just how people try to like, they make you feel better, but it doesn't make you feel better. And he was like, well, I was really looking forward to it, which is like the most that he's ever, you know, complained. And so he was just sitting there saying like, I really wish there was something that we could do. I wish there was something we could use technology. I wish there was something that we could do to like mark the occasion. And he was like, like, imagine if Barack Obama gave a national commencement address, that would be amazing. And I was like, yeah, that would be amazing. And then he was like, yeah, somebody should do that. And then his brother was like, well, you have your phone right in your hand. You know, you have Twitter, Barack Obama's on Twitter. So they worked on a tweet together. My younger son wrote a tweet. My older son proofread it because you don't want to tweet Barack Obama and shoot your shot and have a typo in it. So yeah, he just sent it just being like, well, you know, maybe he'll reply. Like maybe he'll be like, oh, congratulations or whatever. And the tweet just really blew up and went super viral and that kid really had like 15 minutes of fame giving all of these interviews and, you know, local news and national news about the kid that asked Barack Obama to do a national commencement address and Barack Obama did it. So that's, that was good. That was a good result. Are you so proud? I'm so proud. I'm really proud of just how he's not the loudest kid. He, he, can be really reserved and laid back. And I was just really proud of like every morning when I got up, he was on zoom doing some interview and he just really handled it all himself. And he got to talk to Steph Curry on the phone, which I thought was hilarious. Wait, he got to to the basketball player, Steph Curry. (laughs) Yes. Did Steph Curry just call him to say like, Hey man, that was really cool. What you did. Yeah, kind of. And just like ask him what he was planning to do and stuff and ask him like if he was a big basketball fan. And Lincoln was like, no, but I love your daughter. I've seen her in the press. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was really cute. That's a better answer than, yeah, I love you guys. And I'd love tickets to, you know, an upcoming game or something. That's so, wow. That is really awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. And I was just, I was very proud of both of them um, just for being, you know, one encouraging the other. And then, yeah, just, I think he handles himself really well and did a good job. That is, uh, that is tremendous. and, And you're hearing it right here firsthand. In late 1982, Prince released the double album 1999, which sold over 3 million copies. The video for Little Red Corvette was played in heavy rotation on MTV, and the song Delirious placed in the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. That album firmly established Prince as a superstar. When the 1999 tour ended, guitarist Des Dickerson left the band for religious reasons, and he was replaced by keyboard player Lisa Coleman's childhood friend, Wendy Melvoin. Wendy and Lisa shortly thereafter formed a special bond with Prince and greatly influenced his output during the rest of their tenure in the band. What is your favorite Prince era? Do you have a favorite Prince era? I, gosh, I really, I, I love it all. It's funny. I, I am one of those people where people will often ask, you know, oh, if one of these songs had to go, what would you get rid of? And I'm like, they, none have to go. 
you know, like I don't have to make that choice. So I really am just such a fan. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously very, very fond of the early era, the young era, um, because that's when I discovered him and it was so fun to watch him evolve. And it was so fun to, you know, I, re- <laughs> I remember a friend of mine getting a hold of the, the poster, you know, the poster of him in the black panties in the shower. And I I remember my friend getting that. I think her older sister got it and put it up in the, their shared bedroom. And I remember being at my friend's house and I was like, I was not allowed to put any posters on the wall, but especially not that poster. But I remember being like having dinner at my friend's house and the mother saying like, I can't believe you put that poster up. It's disgusting. And I remember mumbling under my breath. Well, if that's disgusting, then I love disgusting. So, you know, I obviously have like a fondness for that era when it sort of felt um, illicit. It sort of felt like a thing that I was like, oh, my mom's not paying too much attention to what I'm listening to. My aunts were feeding me these albums because they didn't, you know, they they had access to record albums and spending money. So they were they were giving me these albums. So but really every era, I loved every every era. Well, you know, I've said on this podcast a number of times, whether you're a young dude or a young gal, it is so important to have those older sibling figures. And for you, it was your aunts that those older kids nearby that say, hey, quit listening to the pop sugary stuff that little kids listen to. Here's adult music. You know, it's for, for me, it was that, it was that family friend, the older son who, who turned me on to Van Halen for the first time in 1978. I was that way with my younger brothers. I was, you know, quit listening to this. Here's the cool stuff that you have to listen to. What else were your aunts listening to when you were young? What do you remember them getting into? I mean, I remember watching, we just, we watched everything. We watched American Bandstand every week. My aunts were just really into popular music. So the Commodores and the Bee Gees, the Bee Gees were a huge deal. And the Bee Gees were a huge, I think my aunt's favorite at the time was the Bee Gees. And so I remember getting a Bee Gees lunchbox because for school because we shopped for lunch boxes together. Um, so yeah, I remember that. And do you remember um, the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton did the uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band? Yeah. So yep. yeah, which I remember watching with my dad who my dad was a huge rock and roll snob and he was a huge Beatles fan the way that I am a Prince lover. And um, yeah, so I remember us, me watching it with him him and his little sisters and that was like a huge deal i wish that i had that bg's lunchbox right now (laughs) it was such a good one it was such a good it was definitely the coolest lunchbox in third grade i need to i need to ebay that my aunts my aunt debbie and my aunt Jeannie, they were like 14 and 16 when i was born so they were my first babysitters for like three years because my mom was still a, a, a nurse and my dad was in law school and um I would go over to my grandmother's house every day and Debbie and Jeannie would take care of me. And I vividly remember the records that they had in their collection. And it was odd because they had the Beatles red and the white, uh, the red and the blue greatest hits albums. And then I remember Janice Ian at 17, like just like as a little kid, just looking at that record. And it's just weird. Like the images that stick in your brain um, when you're little. Yeah. Um, Did you get to see Prince early on? I never did. I, when I was 
a preteen, there was like a small chance that one of my friend's parents was trying to get us tickets to go to the Purple Rain concert. And I was, you know, I was so deep in it and so deep in the belief that it was going to happen that I was already thinking like, how am I going to convince my parents to let me go to this concert? Like I was 11, 12, yeah. like maybe 12. And, uh, and it was in the big bad city of Worcester, Massachusetts. At, um, at the Worcester Spectrum? At, yeah, the, the Worcester Centrum. Ah, the Centrum, not the, the Spectrum. The I think the Centrum, yeah. And which it's probably not there anymore. Um, but yeah, so I was just, but it just, it never happened. It never materialized. And like cultural events were not a huge thing <laughs> in my family growing up. So I never really, like, I don't think I ever went to the movies, but like twice before I had my own car and my own money. Um, and I never saw a concert. I, I went to like a couple of like outdoor festivals that, relatives worked at uh when i was a kid but i never went to a concert i don't think until i was well into high school so yeah i never got to see him i never got to see him perform live at all really except for on television shows that i worked at as an adult okay so give me one of those what was the first time that that happened because that's got to be a crazy night Oh my gosh. It was, when, <laughs> I can tell you it was, he came on the late show with David Letterman when I was young and I worked as one of David Letterman's assistants. And he, it was when he had changed his name to the artist formerly. No, well, it, he, he changed his name to an unpronounceable sy symbol and he was being called in the media, the artist formerly known as Prince. And I just remember it was that period where nobody knew what to make of him. Like, I think now we're all like, Oh, he was a genius. That was visionary what he did um but at the time everyone just thought that he was basically like you know some kind of eccentric character that you had to walk on eggshells around so anyway he came on the late show with david letterman he agreed shockingly to do a cold open with dave and paul schaefer which was um paul schaefer saying oh i want you to meet someone the artist formerly known as prince this is the artist formerly known as pinhead about dave and dave did like a, a water spit take like dave was chugging water and did a water spit take next to Prince. And I was standing next to the camera because that was my job to stand there to make sure Dave had what he needed. And I had my eyes cast down because I didn't even want to betray to Prince or anyone, Dave, especially because if Dave would have known he would have embarrassed me or something, I don't know. So anyway, Dave spits water. It goes really far. A little gets on my pants. And then uh, after the take, Prince said, oh, you you got her wet. And, and I said, I'm OK. And then Dave was like, she's OK. And then then he came and performed on the show. And I lost my mind inside my heart, but remained professional. And uh, yeah, and it was spectacular for me. It was a spectacular performance. And I think Dave kind of left the evening still not knowing what to make of Prince. But I was like, he's so legit he's still so legit <laughs> you had to keep your cool on the front lines of a, of a war going on inside your brain <laughs> yeah i mean i don't really get super starstruck ever and i've been doing this for a really long time but even then even back when i was a kid i was like oh i don't care like you know um and i always think it's kind of funny because i think 
a lot of celebrities are really interested in giving someone like a, a 22 year old young woman, like an experience, like they feel like they should tell you advice. And, and sometimes it's good advice, but sometimes it's just entertaining. Cause you're just like, it's the weirdest experience, but seeing Prince was kind of like, yeah, that was a mind loser for me. In 1984, Prince began referring to his backup band as the revolution. And he released purple rain the soundtrack album to his massively successful film of the same name. It quickly became his most critically and commercially successful release at that time, spending 24 consecutive weeks atop the Billboard charts and selling 25 million copies worldwide. The film itself grossed more than 68 million bucks at the box office in the U.S. and over 80 million worldwide. Purple Rain also won an Oscar for Best Original Song Score. And it was the last song to receive that weird award. That was such an insane period of time because there were so many pop superstars, Madonna, Prince, Michael Jackson, and here comes the Magic Sex Elf with Purple Rain. And we played hooky from high school to go see that movie. I remember that in Albuquerque, New Mexico, because it was only playing at the Highland Theater on Central, and uh, we had to ditch school to go see it. Yeah. One of my favorite movie-going experiences ever. Oh, my God. Me me too. I just actually talked about this on our podcast, too, about how, okay, so I was, I was 11 or 12, Purple Rain came out, and again, like, just not the kind of thing that I was ever going to ask my mom, so I was scheming, and like, how am I going to get to go see this movie? And my dad, my parents were divorced, and my dad was really spotty on visitations. Like, <laughs> there were a lot of times uh, hanging out on the on the porch waiting for him to pick me up that never materialized. So I was like, if I can get him to actually come and get me, chances are he's going to say yes to anything that I ask for because, you know, he's going to feel <laughs> guilty about missing the last five times or whatever. So, yeah, so my I was like, called up my dad and I was like, listen, you've blown it a bunch of times. I really want to go see this rated R movie. And so he was like, okay, let's do it. And so we went to see Purple Rain. And as, as I pointed out in on our podcast, I really, when it came to the sex scene with Apollonia, I really wanted to unzip my skin and have my skeleton run away because that was super embarrassing. But like I said, my dad was a huge rock and roll snob, a huge Beatles fan and, and just, uh, categorical knowledge of all things music and uh he was really into it i remember being like you know is he gonna patronize me or whatever and just that last shot in the movie where the kid turns around and he's kind of like in silhouette and that's the end of the movie that freeze frame and my dad just turned to me and he was like wow that kid is really talented thank you for introducing me to him he's he's gonna be a huge star and i was like that's so cool. That's the first time my dad's ever like sort of spoken to me on an adult level and like, oh yeah, I dig this guy. I see why you like him. Um, did you introduce your boys to Purple Rain? Oh my gosh, my poor boys. I think the first thing I ever introduced them to was Bat Dance from <laughs> <laughs> because they were they got super into, you know, first they loved Star Wars, but then they got into 
more comic book movies as they got older and they were super into Batman. And I was like, well, does mom have something to show you? <laughs> so I remember <laughs> showing them the bat dance video and then being like, Oh, okay. All right. But yeah, that he's oh, Prince has always been a part of their lives. Uh, long drives are always full of Prince playlists. And uh, yeah, my kids have seen <laughs> when my kids have seen all of the movies um, I love even, them all. Even under the cherry moon. <laughs> I love under the cherry moon. I encourage, I urge everyone to give it a second chance. <laughs> it's a really funny, campy, clever movie. And it really, yeah, I urge you. It's, you know, I'm not going to claim it's the best movie ever, but it is very lovable. Well, maybe it came out too soon after Purple Rain. Like, it really came out just a few years later. Yeah, and I think that was, like, his thing that he was always getting in trouble for was sort of being, like, demanding and difficult and also being too prolific. Like, that was always the record company's beef with him is that you're, like, putting out too much stuff and it's, like, people can't consume the amount of things you're making. And so Under the Cherry Moon kind of had, like, a director that that didn't work out. And so he took over directing it. And I think again, like people thought, Oh, he's a brat. He's petulant. He's, you know, he's difficult. He's a diva. But the truth is like with now that all of that's in the past, I think if you go back and watch it, I think people didn't get that it was campy and it was meant to be very funny. And it was meant to be a tribute to these sort of like, you know, black and white, comedy duo films and except it was two black guys talking about being, you know, grifters and gigolos and, uh, you know, in is Kristen Scott Thomas's first film. I think she was not quite 20 years old. Um, anyway, it's beautiful. And there's a couple moments in it that I just think are really, it's beautiful to look at. And then there's a couple moments that I think are really clever and, uh, it makes me laugh. Um, that is high praise from a veteran comedy writer. Um, <laughs> And because we're all stuck at home now, people listening to this podcast, apparently you have no excuse not to go out and find Under the Cherry Moon by Prince, by Prince Rogers Nelson and Kristen Scott Thomas, who I absolutely had a crush on. Uh, who didn't? We, who didn't? Prince and the Revolution released Around the World in a Day in 1985 and Parade... In 1986, well, well, we're right on it. Parade also served as the soundtrack for Under the Cherry Moon. Prince directed and starred in the film, which also featured Kristen Scott Thomas, my crush. The album was a hit, featuring the number one hit single, Kiss. But the movie was a bomb. After that, the revolution disbanded. And Prince went on to release the critically acclaimed double album, Sign of the Times, in 1987 as a solo artist. He released three more solo albums before debuting his new power generation band in 1991. You guys should have Wendy and Lisa on your podcast. I, you know, I was just fantasizing about that this morning, and I was like, could I even handle it? <laughs> yeah, you could, because I... Okay. I love... I, Wendy and Lisa are my heroes, heroes, heroes. And it's so funny, because I know so many people that know them, that actually know them in real life. And people are always like, oh, you know, if, if I ever see Wendy, I'll tell her, you know, and I'm just like, I can't... I almost can't even handle it. Like I said, I never get starstruck. But I talked to Wendy has like an Instagram account and she um, takes care of this little squirrel in her yard. 
<laughs> she was looking for something to like make sure the squirrel didn't get fleas and I commented on it and then she commented back and I that almost made me die that almost made like I I used when I was a kid I used to write fan fiction the way that people do about Harry Potter or Twilight or whatever I wrote fan fiction about Wendy and Prince and Lisa and so Prince and Wendy's relationship in particular has been really fascinating for me. When they left the band, it was heartbreaking for me. And actually when he sort when he did sign of the times and it was a huge hit and I loved it, I felt like I was betraying Wendy and Lisa. And so, you know, yeah, they're just a huge, huge deal to me. And I was thinking about how amazing would it be for me if they came on the podcast to talk about the pivot of, you know, no longer working with Prince to what they did with the rest of their lives. And I was like, I would probably pass out. Celebrities are people too. It's true. And I think that you are probably the perfect person to sort of marry both of your skills, your skill as a showrunner and your skill as a Prince fan to sit down with Wendy and Lisa and get like a really great conversation out of them. Because I remember being around them in the nineties and wondering like at a friend's house. Yeah. God damn it. There's, there's Wendy and Lisa um, and thinking like, okay, what are you guys up to now? Because they had to, you're right. They had to pivot. And they've had this incredible career doing music for films and television in addition to their solo work. And I just love, you know, I I've gotten to see them a number of times uh, since Prince left us performing tributes. And it's always just really you know, just really reverent, but loving. They still seem to really love him. And they're like, Wendy is incredible. Like, you know, that feeling when (laughs) just when, you know, she's, she's playing one of Prince's songs that, you know, she, she's gonna try to do his solo or whatever. And you're just like nervous. You're like white knuckling it for her. And she just nails it every time. And she's, she's incredible. She's such a hero. And she just seems like such a kind person from everything that I've heard. And uh, yeah. And I have like this weird pet theory that she was kind of the love of Prince's life. Refresh my memory. I've got so many dead brain cells up there (laughs) since, since the mid eighties. I'm sure I knew this at some point. Did they have a brief fling? No, actually, Prince, here's the thing. Okay, so Lisa and Wendy were not only childhood friends, they were also girlfriends. They gotcha. were together. Right. So when they joined the band, and and that was, you know, at the time, I think they've talked about this, that, that was great for the image of the band, because it was, you know, black people, white people, uh, girls and boys, and there was two girls that were together. And so, you know, just covering all the bases of everything you're curious about. And, um, and so they were together, but I also just have this pet theory that Prince had really intense feelings about Wendy and her talent and her playfulness and her personality. I just think he, like, I think you can just see it. You can just see it. He loves her, you know? Well, and the the video for kiss is basically their chemistry. Like the magic of that video is their strange alien chemistry. I mean, he is from Pluto. Yes. I don't I don't think he's actually from Minneapolis. I think he was he <laughs> and, was sent down from Pluto to just <laughs> to just fuck with people and then when it was time for him to go back, he had to go back he even though back. the rest of us felt like it was way 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 premature. He should still be in our lives right now. So but, you can um, you can go back and watch um the that his estate put together a video of rehearsal footage um to to pair with the um 
version of Nothing Compares to You that came out of the vault. And it's, you know, you can you can just see, you can see the way that he looks at her and the way he looks to her. Um, she just was like his, his left hand. Um, but then th- they never had a thing, but he did get engaged to her identical twin sister, Susanna. Right. Susanna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he made her, uh, a member of this other side band, the family. He had a million side bands at the time and uh, Apollonia Six, Vanity Six. And so the family who originally performed Nothing Compares to You was fronted by Wendy's twin sister, Susanna. That is tremendous intel with Prince expert Casey St. Ange. 1991's Diamonds and Pearls had four hit singles in the US, including Cream which gave Prince his fifth number one single. In 1993, in the midst of a contractual dispute with Warner Brothers Records, as Casey referred to earlier in the show, Prince changed his name to an unpronounceable symbol, also known as the love symbol. And he began releasing new albums at a faster rate in order to get out of his contract with Warner Brothers. On April 21st, 2016, at the age of 57, Prince died of an accidental fentanyl overdose at his Paisley Park home and recording studio in suburban Minneapolis. He sold over 130 million records worldwide. He won seven Grammy Awards, seven Brit Awards, six American Music Awards, four MTV Video Music Awards, an Academy Award, and a Golden Globe. Prince was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004, and Rolling Stone has ranked Prince at number 27 on their list of 100 greatest artists of all time. That's bullshit. He's top five. Prince was romantically linked with the following. Kim Basinger, Madonna, Vanity, Sheila E., Carmen Electra, Susanna Hoffs, and Cheryl and Fenn from Twin Peaks. Oh, those are just my final, my final Prince notes for you, Casey. That's a short list. A short list of ladies. That's a short list of ladies for a short little dude who, again, was a magical sex elf. Um, I think that he probably transferred some of his powers to some of those people, too, because I'm convinced that he had otherworldly powers as well. My favorite Prince clip is Prince performing, uh, I think it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's, He's doing My Guitar Gently Weeps by George Harrison, and he's doing that with Tom Petty, and Jeff Lynn from ELO and Danny Harrison, George Harrison's son. And he takes what is Eric Clapton's guitar solo and princifies it. And everyone's face on the stage melts because they are watching a rock god be a rock god in the moment. And it's a really wonderful thing because Petty laughs, Jeff Lynn laughs, and Danny Harrison is just smiling the whole time. Because yeah, he, he, it looks like he's just like... Yeah, he like he can't believe it. He can't believe it. And then, of course, at the end, Prince does his trademark. He just uh, throws his guitar up in the air and walks off stage. <laughs> and so people who are huge um, Prince lovers and followers of everything Prince know that it was the guitar didn't just go up to heaven. It was <laughs> caught by his guitar tech, Takumi, um, who was standing by. And then Takumi handed it to Oprah Winfrey so that... That when they'd cut to where the guitar landed, it would look like Oprah caught it. Is that that really? But further, this is me. This is how I work. Um, I'm a TV producer, and so I'm very accustomed to calling people and asking them for information that 
I need to get straight, but I will never hesitate to do that about a Prince detail, even though I'm producing nothing about Prince. So uh, my friend happened to be Oprah's chief of staff. And I was like, I called her up and I was like, listen, I got to ask some questions to Oprah. (laughs) And she was like, about what? And I was just like, I need to know exactly how it happened when Prince threw his guitar at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, like what happened? And then so she was like, his guy like caught it and then gave it to Oprah. And then I'm like, then what did Oprah do? And she was like, uh, she returned, like the guy ran off and then we had to find him and then give the guitar back. Oh my God. That is, you are marvelous. I was just like, I need, I have to know, like, I know you're my friend and I know you'll want my soul to like rest easy. So I know you'll tell me the answers to these questions. (laughs) After you and busy reach the top of the podcast game, you have to do a Prince podcast. Oh, you have you have you have to do the world's most official Prince podcast. I mean, there's there's literally four billion podcasts in the world right now. However, <laughs> you have the tools to make the number one Prince podcast. We'll see. And, there are and, so many good ones. There are good ones. You should definitely check them out. There are some really good Prince podcasts, but I think that I would come at it from a place of deep love. Oh, clearly. And, and I guarantee I'm, I'm actually shocked that you're not wearing purple right now. Um, what, uh, one sort of final question uh, through your journey as a producer and, and now a showrunner, have you ever actually had the chance to meet Sheila E or anyone from the sort of the Prince bubble? Um, I have seen Sheila E a number of times and she follows me on social media, which is very kind. I've never really met her in person. Um, I've been up close uh, and I'm a huge admirer of hers, but here's a weird little story. When I first moved to Los Angeles and I sort of was just looking for things to do, uh, somebody sent me a message like, Hey, Sheila E is moving house. She's, she's got a new house. She's moving out of her old house and she's having like a little bit of an estate sale. If you want to go, if you want to drive out to her place. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. So I drove, (laughs) I drove whatever, 20 miles, 25 miles to Sheila E's former home to look at all of her like stage clothing and boots. She had amazing boots. These boots that Sheila E owns, like if I was a size seven, I'd be toddling around in them right now. But um, what I did get was Sheila E wasn't there, but her sister was running the the sale. And obviously, like, I know her sister because I'm psychotic (laughs) and uh, I know of her sister and her sister was so nice. And I so I bought a cowbell for my husband because he's a drummer and it was, you know, like Sheila had signed it and he loves Sheila. So Sheila had signed it. And then her sister was like, oh, you should take some of her earrings, too, like some of her stage worn earrings, like get these, whatever. And, um, and so I was like really into it. And there were like a couple of fans there. It wasn't like super wild, but there were a couple of fans there just taking pictures with all the boots. And, and then, um, I had my purchases and I was like, okay, I feel good about this. And then I turned around and bumped into Maya Rudolph, who, (laughs) who I don't know super well, but like I do, I'm friends with people she's friends with. And like one of those situations, I'm sure you've had this a million times. Like if I act like I don't know her and she knows that we do kind of know each other, that'll be rude. But also there's every chance in the world. She has no memory of who the hell I am. So that's a tough tough LA moment. It really is a tough LA moment. So I was like, Oh, Hey Maya, I'm Casey. I'm 
friends with Tina Fey and Paul F. Tompkins. And she was like, oh, okay. And Maya, as you may or may not know, is also a ginormous Prince fan. And she is the leader of the band Princess, a Prince tribute band. And so um, it was just like, and she was like, oh, hey, yeah, I just wanted to come over and see like Sheila's stuff. And so I went from feeling like pretty good about it to being like semi-embarrassed and feeling weird. But then I was like, oh, she's also there. Like Maya's there too, you know, so we're both weird. Um, But then later she came on busy tonight with the cast of wine country, that film that came out and uh, which included Tina Fey, who was also an executive producer of busy tonight with me. And Tina was like, Oh, Casey, I've been dying to introduce you to someone. You guys are going to love each other. Uh, because she also loves Prince. This is Maya. And I was like, and Maya was like, we know each other. We saw each other very recently. At Sheila E's fucking garage sale. Where I need to know, where was that house? Do you remember? I know you're just here in Southern California, so you might not know the specific neighborhood, but I need to know. Where was Sheila? It was in Tarzana. In the hills of Tarzana or in the flats? Uh, it was like slightly hilly. It was pleasantly okay. hilly. See, people don't uh, people don't really know outside the city of Los Angeles. You think that every celebrity lives in Beverly Hills or whatnot, but there's a lot of fucking people in the hills of Encino, Tarzana, Reseda, sure. out that way, Woodland Hills. For all sure. the rappers live out in Woodland Hills. Oh, uh, yeah. that is tremendous, Casey. All you did was crush it today. All you did was walk up to the plate and just hit nothing but home runs. Thank you. I had such a nice time. It's so nice to see you. It, it is wonderful to see you. We've been talking for uh, one hour, and so it's time to wrap things up. Uh, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to promote or just say a couple words uh, as we uh, wrap things up about the, the Busy Phillips show? Yeah, you can find it wherever. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify, all the good stuff. Um, there's links to it in all my social media, so you can find it there. I hope you'll listen. It's a it's a fun thing. It just feels like a fun hang with your friends. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's not all jokes. It's some serious stuff, too. But uh, I think it's a nice balance. You know, it's very, it's very human. And so I hope you'll hang out with us and get to know us. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And I just had such a good time. Well, you are wonderful, and you're the, the the perfect person to talk Prince Rogers Nelson with. So I am so grateful, and I just want to thank you for the bottom of my heart for spending this time with me. Thanks, B. Okay, and to the rest of you, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, subscribe, like, leave reviews, especially on Apple. We are growing exponentially, and we've got more punk rock legends coming down the line. So, until the next time, cats and kittens. In France, a skinny man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance, his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. At home, there were 17-year-old boys and their idea fun. Is being in a gang called the Disciples High on Crack and toting a machine gun.